a Bible study on five keys to success in living for God. Five keys to success in living for God. And uh, and I appreciate all of the kind comments about that. So tonight, I want to uh, speak on a little different subject. And that is, we're going to title this, Five Ways to Fail as a Christian. Boy, that sounds positive, doesn't it? But uh, if you'll hang on just a minute, it may not be quite as bad as it sounds like. So we've given you the keys of success. We've, we've said how to, how to successfully live for God. And so not, tonight we're going to talk about five well, ways that failure can come. And this is not a, a negative presentation. It is to make us aware of these things, that these things happen. If you've been in church or in church culture any length of time, you have seen people that have served God for a period of time and then something happens and you don't see them anymore and the next thing you know they've slipped away and they may or may never come back to a relationship with God. So tonight I want to present this material in an effort to help you avert that type of uh, situation in your life or maybe you can take this and help somebody else. I want to read from 2 Corinthians tonight, 4. We're going to read verses 7 through 10. The Bible says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, talking of the Holy Ghost, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. The Amplified Bible, uh, that same scripture reading, uh, says it this way, However, we possess this precious treasure, the divine light of the gospel in frail human vessels of earth, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. We are hedged in, pressed on every side, troubled and oppressed in every way, but not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassments and are perplexed and unable to find a way out, but not driven to despair. We are pursued, persecuted, and hard-driven, but not deserted to stand alone. We are struck down to the ground, but never struck out and destroyed, always carrying about in the body the liability and exposure to the same putting to death that the Lord Jesus suffered, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown forth by and in our bodies. It's an incredible scripture setting. It's an incredible reading that Paul goes through uh, in, in this time, he's writing to the church in Corinth and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, uh, hold back any punches. He's very, very open and very forthright with the fact that if you serve God, that it's not always going to be life on easy street. Paul lets us know very assuredly that life 
as a follower of Christ is not an easy life always, but it is the best life. Somebody can say amen about that. All of us, and we all understand this concept, we hear the, you know, we know what Jesus said that, that it rains on the just and the unjust, and we all understand that in, as long as we're human, we're going to suffer some types of calamity, uh, sickness comes, uh, heartache comes, problems happen, your car's going to break down whether you serve God or not. But serving God is the best life that you can have. Some people bemoan the fact that they have to give up a lot of stuff to serve God or to live for God. And in a sense, that's right. You give up hell for heaven. You give up sin for salvation. You give up rags of unrighteousness to be clothed in a robe of righteousness, which is in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. We give up of serving the devil for our heavenly father who really does love and really does care for us. So if you look at it in that way, we do give up some things and I'm happy about that. I'm excited about that. There's some things I'm glad that I gave up. But I want us to look at what Paul is saying in verses 8 and 9. You know, if Paul could have seen some of the stuff that we have today, he might have used this. Have you ever seen these little punching bag things you get for kids? They stand about this tall, and they're plastic, and you blow them up. And it's always, you know, when we get stuff like that at my house, it's always my job to blow the thing up. Like I have these superhuman lungs, and that every time you blow in it, especially when it's full, getting real, and you got to punch the thing, so it's got to be inflated. And the air keeps going down your throat, and... But it's got sand. I mean, it just, you, and before you can breathe, it just goes right back and blows your mouth up, makes you feel miserable. Never can get it hard enough. It's got sand in the bottom of it. You know what I'm talking about? And when you hit it, it rolls over. And then the sand, because it's weighted, brings it right back up. This is kind of what Paul might have used as an illustration while he was writing in uh, to the church in Corinthians that we get beat up sometimes, but we have to always get up. That sometimes we get knocked down, but we always have to get back up. Failure, and I heard this statement years ago, and, and, I, and I have bought into it 100%. I believe it 100% that failure is never final. Failure is never final final unless you let it become final if you say there's no use I have failed whatever it is and you say it's it's no use and you quit your failure just became final but until you do that God has never uh, finalized your failure but he always will help us back up he will always forgive he will always work with us He will always uh, engage us to bring us to the place that he has for us and our destiny and our future, whatever his will is for our life. So we as Christian people, as a child of God, you do sometimes have trouble on every side, or at least it seems like it. 
We have an enemy, the Bible tells us, that's after our soul. You also have another uh, something you have to engage, a, a entity, I guess you could say, and that is our flesh. That will always be there. We don't always want to. Uh, you know, serve God. You don't always want to get up and come to church. You don't always want to get up and do things. You don't. So sometimes we have the flesh to deal with. But Paul says, during all of this, don't be distressed. Why? 1 John 4 and 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So when troubles come, when problems come, when situation comes, when circumstance happens, when sickness gets a grip, when all of these things happen, when there's loss, when there's failure, when there's uh, all of these things that we as humans face, we cannot give up. We have to recognize and realize that God is still on our side. Brother Tenney says it this way, and I love this quote. God's large and still in charge. And it doesn't matter what our government does, it doesn't matter what our leaders do, it doesn't matter what our world does, society, it doesn't matter how all of this stuff happens, God is still in charge. He's still in control of your life. He still has the power to bring to pass in your life everything that He wants you to have. Everything that He has for you, He still has the power to bring that to pass. God's not limited by our society. He's not limited by the way the world goes and how the world turns as the old soap opera was. He's not limited by that. God has the power to bring you exactly where He wants you to be as long as you will let Him. We do have promises from the Word of God. In Hebrews 13, 5-6, the Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness your conversation means your action or how you act and be content with such things as you have for he has said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me so who is your helper it is God So five ways to fail as a Christian. Now, this, I'm, not, I'm not giving you these so you can go try them. I don't want you to say, now, Brother Merrill taught us how to fail. I don't, that's not why we're going to go over this. We're going over this so you will watch out for these things. Everybody say, I'm looking. Okay, this is not permission to go out and say, hey, whoo-hoo. I don't want anybody to fail, and I hope you understand that. But there are some things, and these are just five we're going to cover. It's not a complete list. It's not all of them. It's not totality. But these are five that we see so prevalent in our, in our area, in our community, and in our culture today. That if you engage in these things, it can certainly and most certainly will cause failure. Now, before I get into that, I want to let you know there is still some good news here. Anytime you think you fail or if you do fail, which humans are prone to do, there is always forgiveness. Always forgiveness. God always takes us back. Failure 
is not final. In Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible is still as true today as it was when Solomon wrote it. He says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsake them shall have mercy. So when we try in life to hide failures, we don't succeed. People that conceal sin will not prosper, but we can't have mercy. So here we go. Five things that cause failure. You ready? I got 40 minutes. Six pages of notes, that's two hours. What are y'all doing tonight, man? The first thing that will cause you to fail in your relationship with God is don't pray. If you want to fail, if your goal is to fail, then may I suggest don't pray. How can you have a relationship with somebody you don't talk to? We've used this illustration a million times, but imagine you imagine with your children. Your, you know, Sister Amy's fixing in the next 12 to 16, 18 hours. Imagine that by this time tomorrow, she never speaks to that child again until it's 21. What kind of relationship do you think she'll have with that baby? None. The number one reason that people that are a child of God, these are people that serve God, these are people that are saved, these are people that, that, that profess a relationship with God, the number one reason they fail is the lack of communication. It's amazing that society tells us, our psychologists and our psychologists and our psychoanalysts and all these other psychos out here, will tell you that the number one reason a relationship fails, I'm not talking about Christian with God, I'm talking about relationships. The number one reason they fail is lack of communication. Anybody ever heard of that? Am I the only one? You have to communicate. Try this. Go to your boss and refuse to communicate for the next six months. He sends you an email. I need blah, blah, blah. Just don't do anything. But watch what happens. I'm sure within a couple of weeks you're going to be communicating in a private meeting where you get this little pink slip of paper that tells you your services are no longer needed. We have to communicate with God. Not only does God want to hear us communicate, we need to communicate with God. And that invariably people will ask, well, how do you pray? What do you ask for? What do you pray? And I tell people, you know, just talk to God like he's your best friend, because he really is. Well, I don't know how to pray. Can anybody in here ride a bicycle? Nobody. Oh, we have a few. Okay, fine. You know, how did you learn to ride a bike? 
I've done it. You got on the bike, you took off, and you was riding perfect, right? Never crashed, never wrecked, nothing. You try. You have to try. And you may not do very good at the first time, but then you try again. And the best way to learn, a bi- learn how to ride a bike is by riding a bike. The same thing is true with prayer. The best way to learn how to pray is to pray. Talk to God. People get into funky mindsets and they'll say things like, well, God's busy. I don't want to bother him. Who's going to be honest and thought it at least? God's too, man, he's got six billion people. You know, they got this big earthquake calamity in this part of the world and they got this, you know, this thing's happening over here and you got all this and God's just too busy to hear my little bitty petty need. My need is so small in the whole scope of, of reality that God's really not interested. He really doesn't have time for it. I want to tell you that is not true. The Bible tells us that we need to pray. We should pray. We should want to pray. We should want to communicate with God. In 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, it's a very popular scripture reading. The Bible says, but if my people, here is God saying, my people, we are his, which are called by my name shall humble themselves, not God humble us, humble yourself, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, the Bible says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asked bread would give him a stone? Or if he asked a fish would give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give you good things, or give good things to them that ask him? Several years ago, somebody came up to me, was, I was talking with somebody, and they came up to me and was talking about it, and, and they said, you know, I've been waiting for God to bless me in such and such an area. I've been waiting for God to, to take care of this situation. And I said, did you ask him? No. He already knows. The Bible said he already knows what I have need of. I remember reading a story about a guy, and I have come to understand it even in the life of my own children, that there are things, they're not in here tonight so I can say this, but there are things I would give them if they would ask. You ever had that situation? You know, you're walking through the store, you know, and you look over, you see this neat, cool little toy, gizmo, gadget, whatever. And you say, you know what, I bet they would like that. 
and they're looking at it. And if they would walk up and say, Dad, can I have such and such? Because I think it's neat. I'd probably say yes. I'd probably buy it for them. But we walk off from that object, and they never get it. You know why? Somebody say it. They didn't ask, how many things is there in our life that we desire, we would like to have? I'll say even as a want, not necessarily a need, but a want. People said in Jesus' text right here, about us being evil can give good gifts. That's not needs. A gift is not a need. It's a want. It's a desire. And how many things would God give us that we want, but we never ask him? We never say, God, you know what? I sure would like to have such and such. Now, I'm not into name it and claim it. I'm not into blab it and grab it and say it and spray it. But what I am saying is that there are things that God would give us if we would ask him, just ask him. It is imperative. If you are going to be successful in your relationship with God, it is imperative that you pray. In the scripture we just read in Matthew 7, in verse 11, the Bible uses that word, your father, your father which is in heaven, would give you good things. The words your father, they indicate that God has a sense of parental nurturing. He has a sense of parental care, of parental concern. And so as much as an earthly father is, would have concern or care or nurturing for their child, or at least uh, they should, God has that same concern for you and for I. Uh, they, he still, he cares about us. He really, he just really does. In Jeremiah 33 and 3, the Bible says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In 1 John 5 and 14, the Bible says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So the first thing that can cause you to fail is a lack of communication with God. The second thing that can cause us to fail in our relationship with God or in our mission in our relationship with God is when we don't love people the way we should. Pastor is going to start continue in his Bible study on forgiveness next Wednesday. That'll come to play in a second. How many in here can honestly say that you love everybody? How many can say you don't love everybody? A few more honest people. Some of you, now somebody, there's a few in your line because you didn't raise your hand either time. It is easy for us as Christian people to allow the hang-ups of other people hang us up when it comes to loving them. Somebody said one time, and 
Sometimes I have to agree, kind of depends on my mindset at the time, that the Bible commands us to love everybody, but it doesn't say we have to like them. Now, I don't know if that's just a cop-out. Depending on sometimes how fast I'm going when they pull out in front of me going slow. As to whether I like them or not, I still try to love them, but sometimes I don't like them very much all of a sudden. People don't always do what we want them to do. That's a fact. Guess what? Live with it. Because you don't always do what everybody else wants you to do. And I know there's this thing in everybody's mind, but, but I'm right. Everybody in here, you're saying your mind, but I'm right. And if everybody would live the way I want them to live, everything would be fine. Right? If my spouse would do what I say, everything would be fine. If the kids would just obey my voice, be all right. If the boss at work would always implement my ideas, the place would be a perfect place to work. Everybody thinks they're right, but I have come to the conclusion, as Pastor has said many times, that, that our minds are like concrete. They're all mixed up and permanently set. And sometimes people just don't see things the way you see them. And we allow ourselves to take that and say, I can't like them or I can't love them now. It's interesting, and Brother Tenney preached a message several years ago uh, titled Protecting the Middle Ground. I have it. It's an incredible message. But he brought up a point. You remember the cherubims on the mercy seat in the Old Testament? The Bible says that they were of a beaten work. They weren't all the same. They didn't have the same markings in the divots, and they weren't exactly the same dimension. But the Bible says that they looked down... Where, the, where God said, my glory would meet with you. My glory would dwell between the cherubims above the mercy seat. And so they would look down into the glory. They didn't see eye to eye. They didn't look at each other. But they looked into the glory. And we have to understand as Christian people that sometimes we're not always going to agree. We're not always going to see things the same way. We're not going to always be eye to eye. We're not always going to understand the same thing the, the way everybody else understands it. There is scriptural truth that everybody has to abide by regardless. But there are other things that we're not always going to see eye to eye on. We're not always going to agree on. If you want to know a hot topic, start talking politics. Which is, I'm not, I shouldn't do this because... I can't remember everybody's name. I'm horrible, but it's an honor to have Robin Kennard here with us tonight. If you remember, her dad was uh, the state uh, representative, Donald Ray Kennard. Politics. We were. She was talking about politics a few moments before church. It is a hot topic. Man, if you want to see what disagreement's about, start talking politics. You will find out that everybody in this room has their idea of how everything should be run. 
I told somebody a couple weeks ago, I don't want to be president. I wouldn't be president for nothing. I got in trouble for nothing a while ago. It's nothing. I wouldn't be president for nothing for all of our well-educated. I slaughter the rest of it so it don't matter. I would like to be supreme ruler and dictator for about six months. I could fix it. If I could be supreme ruler and dictator of the United States for six months, I could fix it. That's what everybody thinks too. We have to understand that when it comes to life and when it comes to people, we can't draw a boundary, we can't draw a line and say, I'm not going to love this person, this group of people, whoever it is, however we divide people, based on anything. There's no reason, there's no justifiable reason to say, I'm going to hate this person. The Bible says that we should love everybody. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus is speaking and he says, A new commandment I give you, that ye love one another. How? How are we supposed to love one another? As I have loved you, that also you love uh that ye also love one another. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Jesus is saying, it's in red. The letters are in red, not on your screen, but there. This is, this is the big guy talking. Love one another the same way I love you. How many people would agree that God's love is without dimension? How many people would agree that God's love is without parameter? How many people would agree that God's love is without bias? That God's love is without prejudice? So he is commanding us that the same way I love you, I want you to love everybody. Boy, that's easy, right? No, it's not easy. But we have to do it. We have to learn to love everybody. We have to be proactive in loving not just our fellow disciples, not just our fellow brothers and sisters, but we have to be proactive in sharing the love of God with everybody that we contact, everybody that we run into. This is a true statement, and I want you to hear it. Nobody cares how much you know. They don't care how much Bible knowledge you got. They don't want to hear your testimony. They don't want to hear all of your scriptural knowledge and your great theology. And they don't, Nobody wants to hear it. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's a true statement. When you can show somebody that I'm not playing a game, that this isn't just some kind of facade or some kind of fake 
I, you know, I care about you, brother. I mean, you know, brother Kelton, I mean, you're just fabulous. And I just care about you. And then there's no fruit. There's no station of caring. You know, he's back there lifting down the, the church aisle and nobody goes and says anything to him. But when you care, when you truly care, when inside your heart, inside your mind, inside your spirit, you get a hold of this part of God and you truly care for people, then they're willing to hear what you have to say. And I wonder sometimes, and, and I know this is negative and I know it sounds harsh and all that, and I apologize, I'm sorry, I'm done with my, my disclaimers. How many witnesses, how many times have we witnessed to people? How many times have we tried to affect somebody that was going through a horrible situation and you you felt like, man, this is just a great opportunity for them to meet God? They could rendezvous with God right now. Man, this is a perfect situation for them, for God just to come in and just grab them and hold them and show them love and fix some circumstance and Wow, God could just show up and be awesome. And I want to tell them what they need. You know, I want to tell them about God and show them God. And and we go and we try and it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. And I wonder how many of those opportunities have been missed over the years because they felt like we didn't care. That we were just there trying to sell Jesus like we would try to sell a vacuum cleaner. We need to love people, regardless of their faults, regardless of their failures, and their their fallings. I hope y'all are staring at me like that and getting real quiet because you're listening, <laughs> making me a little bit nervous. Usually somebody grimaces or something. There is not one person here tonight that at some point in your life that you haven't been unlovable. Everybody here has had those moments. I had one back in 1980. Something. I can't remember. I, I, you know, I've said it oftentimes, I'm not perfect. But I'm so close. You know, if you just ask my wife, she'll tell you. Honestly, I didn't know I had any. I thought I was perfect. Didn't know I had any faults and failures until I got married. And then she points them out to me. But it is our duty, folks. It is our duty to love people even when they're unlovable. Even when they're unlovable, we pick on the poor cashiers at Walmart all the time. They're, some of them are great and wonderful people. But everybody just about goes to Walmart, so you can relate. When you go to Walmart and you get in that line and that person, that cashier is just rude, obnoxious, aggravating, you name it. And they're ha you're having a hard time loving them. Love them anyway. Don't reciprocate. 
You know, they you get your you know groceries. You go up there. You, they won't speak to you. And they're scanning the stuff. Don't reciprocate that. Well, she's a snot. I'm gonna be a snot. <laughs> Show her. That doesn't manifest God. That's not what Jesus was all about. He loved the unlovable. And so when they're, and it's hard. When you've had a bad day and it's hot summertime, you've been out in the yard sweating or at work, whatever, and you're not feeling too good, you're aggravated yourself. You know, somebody just pulled out in front of you while you was trying to get to Walmart going slow. And you're bawling mad. Just in case you haven't discerned, there might be an issue with that. And you're bawling mad and you walk in there and she's being snotty, so I'm going to be snotty back. I'm going to show her. And we don't manifest God. We don't manifest who Christ is at that moment. We have a hard time with that. But this is where Christianity, this is where the fruit of who you say you are comes to pass. This is where it has to be born at this moment. And this is when the the flesh has to sit there and take the second seat and the, the spirit rises up and you tell them to have a great day and you're nice to them anyway. And you can walk out of there kind of feeling proud in a good Christian way. Love everyone. The third place that you can fail in Christian life if, if you're not careful is when we don't watch our lives. Don't watch your life and it will lead to failure. A lot of people believe that when you serve God you can just whatever. And you don't give any consideration to what it may do may may be doing to other people. Climbing the corporate ladder using other people as a stair, uh, steps. Doing whatever it is. We have to give consideration to how we live our lives if we're going to take the title of a Christian or child of God. There are, and I've gotten to the point, folks, I know you've heard me say it, but I've gotten to the point I almost despise the term Christian because it is used so loosely. I've got to hurry, but i got to tell this story. Back years ago, I went on a job site when I was a road mechanic for an equipment company. And I was walking into the building. It was a new construction. And these two guys came out. And I mean, one of them was just letting it fly at the other guy. I thought he was an enemy. He was cussing me every name in the book. If you can name four-letter, five-letter, six-letter words, he was using them in sentences I've never heard, in ways I've never heard. He was, he was wearing this poor fella out. And he looked at me, this guy that was doing all of this cursing, looked at me and says, what do you think about a man? He's pointing at his buddy he just cursed out. What do you think about a man that I'm trying to witness and, and tell Christ is, and he says something dumb? And I said, buddy, if your way, I'm thinking to myself, if your way of witnessing to them is to call them everything in the book but a decent person, I wouldn't want to listen to you either. 
We have to understand that people are watching us. When you people find out you're a Christian or you're a child of God, you're held, your life is held to a higher standard. It is. And if you claim at work that you're a child of God and I'm a Christian and I'm full of the Holy Ghost and I'm powerful and you get mad all the time and cuss people out, they don't think that God's done a lot for you. Your Christianity hasn't affected you too much, so never mind, I really don't want that. We have to monitor. As Christian people, we have to monitor what we say We have to monitor what we do, what we take in, and what we give out. The Bible says that we are walking sanctuaries or temples. We have to to monitor these things. We have to, to consider them. We have to watch them. We have to process them. I can't say everything I want to say. I work with somebody, you never guess what's on their mind. Never. They tell you. Right, wrong, or otherwise. You remember what I said? Everybody thinks they're right. And that she, she thinks she's right, buddy, and she's going to tell you. As a child of God, it is incumbent upon us to monitor what we say what we do, what we take in, and what we give out. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, the Bible says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So glorify God in your body and glorify God in your spirit. Why? They are gods. This society idea that you are your own, that you're your own god. Feels good, do it, whatever, however all that stuff goes. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Jesus paid a dear price at Calvary that he might redeem you from this world. I want you to listen. We are not our own. It does matter what you do with this life. It does matter. It does matter who your friends are. It does matter what you say. It does matter how you think. It does matter how you believe. It does matter how you act. Because you are representing God. When you go up and say, I am a child of God, I am a Christian, you are telling people, I'm going to act Christ-like. That's what the word Christian means, Christ-like. I'm going to act Christ-like. So if Kelton does something, pick on Kelton night tonight. If Kelton does something to me, and I say, Kelton, buddy, it's no problem. He comes up, Meryl, I'm sorry, man. Didn't mean to say that, do that, whatever. Man, I'm sorry. Kelton, it's no problem, forgiven, water under the bridge, never be brought up again, everything's good between me and you, that's manifesting Christ. 
the same situation happens. Kelton comes up and says, Meryl, I'm sorry, man, I didn't mean to do that. And I say, I am done with you, dude. I am sick of you. I'm, t- I'm done with it. You hurt my feelings. You offended me. And we're, f- talk with a hand. Y'all remember that? That just came to me. That was inspired right there. And now we have manifested to him God. So if Kelton doesn't know God, if Kelton doesn't know the nature of God, if Kelton doesn't understand that God is a forgiving God and that he's a loving and compassionate God, I just, because I said I'm a Christian, I just manifested to Kelton who God is to me and he's an unforgiving, mean-spirited person. Do you think Kelton wants to serve that? No. Because people that don't know God They get their understanding of who God is by watching your life and by watching how you react and you act to situations. So we have to monitor, we have to understand, we have to comprehend and watch and understand and know that it does matter how we present ourselves. It does matter who our friends are. We never isolate ourselves from people. But sometimes you might want to consider who you hang out with. Every part of our life belongs to God and we have to watch these areas. The fourth part, I got to hurry. I've got five minutes. Got two more points to go through. Five minutes will never happen. It'll take six. buddy help you the fourth thing that can cause us to fail in our walk with God is when we seek glory for ourselves if you're seeking glory if you are a Christian if you are a position or title or you have anything to do with the the work of God because you want to make sure that you're recognized You're setting yourself up for failure. I have seen this so many times. People come in, you know, I'm uh, such and such. Glad to have Paul here tonight. He's recently appointed an assistant at Brother Alma's church. Glad to have him tonight. But, you know, I'm an assistant pastor. My name's Merrill Murphy. I'm an assistant there at Grace, and I'm big stuff. I've got a key that fits every lock in this building. There's no room off limits to me. In fact, if I asked our head usher, Brother Mike, to take a second offering, he'd do it. Never question, because I've got the power, and I'm big stuff. And when pastor gets up here at the end of the year thanking the staff members for their contribution, he better mention my name. And I want a $25 gift card. Let me tell you what you're doing. You're setting yourself up for failure. We never work for the church or for the kingdom so that we can get 
accolation, glory, or our name mentioned in the big neon light. I do think that we ought to say thank you to people that do stuff. But if that is your motivation, you're in bad shape. John 12 and 43, the Bible says, For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know, the Bible also says in another place that if you will be the servant, that in due time God would raise you up. So what we do for the kingdom, it's not about who notices. It's not about whether people come up after church and pat you on the back for doing a great job. It's not about all of that. You do it for God. You do it for the kingdom. And in due time, you'll receive the praise. You'll receive, God will raise you up. God will make sure you're honored. The last thing, the fifth way to guarantee, just about guarantee failure in your relationship with God, if you want to fail, is don't come to church. Don't come to church. Brother Donald, don't come to Sunday school. That's an ongoing joke between him and I. Caught him on his phone. I hope you're tweeting some great line you just heard. Just embarrassed the fire out of him. The f- to guarantee failure in your relationship with God, stop attending the house of God. How many times I've seen it. Well, I don't feel like it this Sunday. That's going to be all right. Nobody will know. And every time you miss, it gets a little easier to make another excuse, another reason. One lady one time listened to this excuse. It's the best one I've ever heard. This is what she told a pastor why she doesn't go to church. She said, I don't go to church, and this is my reason. If I go some of the time, it makes me want to go all the time. And since I can't go all the time, it makes me feel guilty when I miss some of the time. So I don't go any of the time, and this keeps me from feeling guilty about wanting to go all the time. If you said that real fast, you could be an auctioneer or a yodeler. We know that's not that was not her real excuse. Look, when you miss church, I know it's just church, just a service. I understand that. I, I've, heard, I've heard it all. There's not, I doubt there's many excuses that you could give me that I haven't heard. But when you miss, you're not just missing church. You're missing worshiping with people of light, precious faith in the presence of Almighty God. You miss hearing the word of God. You miss the wonderful music, the fellowship with other people and the atmosphere in the house of God. And you miss watching God working in the lives of other people and an opportunity for God to work in yours. 
I was reminded, I'm closing in just a second. I was reminded when I, when in this, this line about missing the word of God, there was a discussion years ago, and you say, well, you know, it's just Brother Merrill, it's just a Wednesday night, it's not a big deal. There was an argument about happening in a church in England. I understand the story's supposed to be true. There was some argument about, uh, about the sermons and the Bible studies, and this particular pastor wasn't all that wowy, and people wasn't really just blown away by him, and there was an elderly gentleman stood up and he said, look, he said, I've been married for over 60 years. He said, by quick calculations that I can do in my head, my wife has fixed some 35,000 meals for me. He said, I can remember about four of them. They were so good, I can remember about four out of 35,000 meals. But he said, I can truly say one thing, if I had not eaten the other one, I wouldn't be here today. Sometimes you say, well, it's just Wednesday night. Well, it's just pastor going through this Bible study on forgiveness. And I've got my bitterness and my hurt and I don't want to forgive it and I don't want to let it go. And so if I don't go, I don't have to hear it. Every time the word of God is taught or preached, whether the person's good or bad, the word of God is always anointed. And the Bible says that my word will not return unto me void. It will always accomplish what God intended for it to. So come to the house of God, hear the word of God, worship with people, see people minister to. It will inspire you, it will encourage you. People get so down and out and so discouraged in a relationship with God and never come to the house of God. Hebrews 10 and 25, the Bible says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Message Bible puts it this way, Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Another translation puts it this way, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more since you see the day of the Lord is coming nearer. We have to be in the, con in the congregation, in the, in the close fellowship of people of like precious faith, especially as society and our world continue to degenerate. We have to, to plug in to fellowship. We have to plug in to being together and to strengthen each other and encourage each other, as the Bible says. So tonight I hope, instead of, as you stand, instead of saying, well, these are some five things I can go do, I can quit praying and I quit coming to church, don't fall into these traps. Don't fall into these traps. These are five, they seem simple, they seem easy things, but they can have disastrous consequences on a relationship with God. So I hope tonight that you will take this, embed it in your mind, embed it in your spirit, that I'm going to serve God. We're quickly wrapping up.
Time is quickly evaporating. Not a doomsday. I'm not going to be like that guy that prophesied that last year on May the 25th, Jesus was coming. Then prophesied October. All that has come and gone and plus some. But I do know that the return of Jesus is soon. And this is not the time to be slipping away. This is not the time to be allowing these five things to cause us to lose our relationship with God. Now's the time, if ever before, to push forward, to push forward, to, to gain new ground, to forge new territory, and let's see God do something great in our lives. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray tonight. Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the power of